0: OT After Dark is a podcast run by two occupational therapists and is for adults only. The views on this podcast are our own and are intended for information and educational purposes only. We believe that sex and sexual pleasure are a human right for consenting adults, regardless of ability, age, gender, or sexual orientation. We discuss topics that cover a wide variety of sex and sexual practices. To be true to our strong views regarding inclusivity, we use common and slang terms regarding sexual topics, which may be considered explicit. Listener discretion is advised.
1: We have exciting news to share. We recently partnered with DirectRec. A free app for OT practitioners, PT practitioners, and speech language pathologists.
0: DirectRec helps clinicians to find peer vetted products, and we recently have added our own recommendations of products on DirectRec for sexual health
1: and wellness. We helped DirectRec get a little extra sexy. DirectRec helps clinicians share products and other digital info like YouTube videos and Google Docs with their clients.
0: DirectRec helps you to track clients' follow-through on your product recommendations. So to start using DirectRec, click on the link on our website at otafterdark.com or in our social media bios. Hi, I'm Kay. And I'm JJ. And we're both occupational therapists. And we're here talking to you about sex. Woo-hoo! And on today's episode, we have the badass Dr. Beth Ann Walker. Badass Beth Ann. And she developed the Occupational Performance Inventory of Sexuality and Intimacy, also known as the OPZ. So listen in to Dr. Beth Ann Walker and And her her badass self. Yep, here we are. So today we are joined by Dr. Beth Ann Walker from the University of Indianapolis, and Beth Ann developed the Occupational Performance Inventory of Sexuality and Intimacy, also known as the OPZ, and also the OT Sexual Assessment Framework. Beth Ann, we are so excited to have you on. Yay! I'm glad
2: to be here. (laughs) This is awesome.
1: Beth Ann, aka, aka badass. Don't forget the badass part. Right. That's right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so badass, Beth Uh Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and kind of how you got to this point?
2: Okay, so I'm an occupational therapist. Ha ha. Um, let's see. So when I graduated OT school, I went straight into long term care. You know, where absolutely nobody's having sex or doing anything intimate. And I can remember about six months in, there was, um, we had a care plan meeting and we had a resident who was in his late 20s and he had CP and then also had a traumatic brain injury and um, was approaching the CNAs about needing assistance with masturbation. And I can remember being at that boardroom table a director of nursing, nursing home administrator. You've got social work, the physical therapist. I mean, you just, the speech therapist, everybody's sitting around this table and it's like, who's going to address this issue? And I can remember looking around the table thinking, well, who is going to address <laughs> this issue? And as I sat there and we got to talking about it Edith was like oh snap that's me <laughs>
1: Tag you're it do
2: yeah and it was it was definitely a learning experience um, i would say and then it wasn't long after that that i remember getting into my office and there was a shoebox on my desk and a little sticky note from my dear director of nursing that says you know please eval 202B. I'm not thinking about, you know, I opened up the shoe box and there are two of the most giant dildos <laughs> and please assess for safety. And I thought, and I can just remember slowly putting the lid back down on the box. And then of course, sitting there for a pause because you know, everyone else I work with is sitting there waiting impatiently to see what my response would be. (laughs) So I've had several experiences. I've been to place, you know, the sex toy stores to get products for residents. Um, Didn't really see myself going down that path. Um, Had an opportunity to teach a class at University of Indianapolis and thought, hey, I think teaching might be a good idea. And, you know, funny thing, they want you to go back and get more schooling in order <laughs> to be able to do that. So I found myself um, I down at Indiana University in their school of public health and was working on my PhD. And I also taught classes down there. But my first day on the job, now you have to understand that Indiana University is is the home of the Kinsey Institute, and also have you know the amazing Center for Sexual and Reproductive Health.
1: For for and anyone so, that doesn't know, I think some people might not know what the Kinsey In- Institute is. Some listeners might not know. Could you just give kind of a brief explanation of what that is?
2: So Alfred Kinsey, one of the fathers, you know, kind of along with Masters and Johnson, who was over at Washu um, just pioneer in research in sexuality mm-hmm. and um has the famous kinsey scale mm-hmm. where you can look at very i mean i just just google it there's yeah. a movie <laughs> if you want more information yeah um so i'm down there i can remember you know the memorial union building beautiful place my office was in this little brick house right off across the street. I remember going in my first day and you know it's like a kindergartner with I've got my my bag and I have like my stapler that matches the pencil cup (laughs) kind of thing. I'm gonna set up my desk and I remember I go in and I really wasn't paying attention to my environment of of the office. And I remember I opened up the drawer, you know, because I have my pencils to put in the in the drawer and and there was a giant dildo in The drawer of my office desk, and I'm thinking, what in the hell have I got myself into? <laughs> so then I kind of look around, and there, you know, the vagina monologues, and then these pictures of you know the artistic, you know, renditions of of a woman's vagina. And I thought, oh, lots my. of Georgia you know, O'Keeffe type style yes,
0: paintings. Yes,
2: <laughs> uh, exactly. So. I'm down at IU and I'm teaching a, just a basic personal health class. And one of the mandatory sessions is on sexual health. And I'm kind of asking, so how are other instructors teaching this content? And so this part, you know, one of my colleagues comes over and they hand me this glass penis and a handful of condoms. And says, You just need to show the students how to put on, correctly put on a condom. And I remember looking at them and thinking, I am not in a place in my life at this point to be able to hold a penis in my hand in front of 99 students and put a condom on it. I'm not there (laughs) yet. I know this about myself. Mm -hmm. It will never happen. I'll never be able to, to pull it off. So, of course, I took the scapegoat route and had you know a guest speaker come in and let them put the condom on the penis. So fast forward I get to oh just so that everybody knows so my background is in aging and technology and that was the primary focus. It's never been sex and intimacy. So fast forward I'm teaching at the University of Indianapolis And I'm kind of one of those fly by the seat of my pants kind of gals. We have students who graduated, um, we're supposed to graduate every December at that time. It's 2000 and I guess it would be 15. And I was to teach an elective that following spring. And so when students were coming back from field work, I was asking them questions like, so is there anything you felt like you didn't get in the program? Or you wish you had just a little bit more information about when it comes to treating older adults. And I thought, because I've got it covered, whatever it is. And so they had feedback like, I'd like more information on feeding and eating in the nursing home, you know, wheelchair positioning, home safety avows, and how do we address sex and intimacy in the clinic? And so I had all these great experiences planned for this upcoming elective. And I thought, okay, I've got it all covered. How am I going to address sex and intimacy? I have absolutely no idea. So again, scapegoat route, I'll have a panel of people (laughs) come in and talk about their experiences. It was, the process was entertaining. I can remember going to administrative assistant who's over um, contacting our community patient resource group and you know and how do i you know and she's wondering how do i write that email (laughs) on getting people to come in to talk about their sex life she said i just don't even know i'm i'm looking at my list of all of the individuals i have no idea who might might do that and not think we're just being completely inappropriate so she finally reached out to one person that person immediately said yes I'd like to come and it was like a snowball effect and she ended up coming back and saying that she had never had a more positive response Mm -hmm. in people who actually wanted to come in and talk about it
1: yeah I think that's been our experience Think that you don't people, we think people don't want to talk about it, and then you bring it up, and everybody wants to talk about it. Everybody's, yeah, got something to say. (laughs) Oh, absolutely,
2: yeah. I'm thinking, this is great. I had no idea that we pay them, I had no idea that you know, I'm like, how many do you want? And I'm like, oh, whoever will come. And so, I had a panel almost as large as the small elective I was teaching. So, we had 14 (laughs) students in this one hour elective, and we had six people who came in to speak that's great so I really didn't even know how to start the conversation I just kind of you know opened it up like tell me your experiences in this area or maybe the students will ask questions and what happened after that has has changed my life forever so when you hear a man talk about how he had been married for four years when he had a spinal cord injury, And it just, it gets me emotional when I, when I talk about it. And, and he says that when he woke up in the hospital and the gravity of what had taken place actually hit him, you know, he said the very first thing that came to his mind was how am I going to have sex with my wife? He goes, I know that's bad. I know, you know, it's a total dude (laughs) thing to say, selfish. And he said, but you know. He was a young man and he goes, that's the first thing he thought about. And, you know, after months and months, you know, all of that, those weeks in rehab and not one person brought it up. And the night before they transferred from the hospital back to home, they had kind of like a practice overnight stay where, you know, they kind of like a pseudo apartment, where you're you're there if you need something but you get to try try it out and they gave them a video to watch no real explanation just here's this video to watch if you have any questions you know nothing just turn it back in you know before you leave and they t- he and his wife talk about that being like the worst 70s porn that he had ever seen, and it was just about positioning, but it was just awful. And he said, if that didn't make you never want to have sex again, he said it was just absolutely horrible. And, you know, talking to, you know, and then a gentleman talks about how, you know, the having bilateral amputee, he had a car accident and he was also a, a young man. And finally, got enough courage to ask about sex and intimacy. And in, I'd say six months into intensive um, therapy.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And he got, he developed a really good relationship with his physical therapist and finally got enough courage. And she basically told him, well, you know, your legs were amputated, not your penis. And although it was important, you know, and he'll say, you know, it was important for him to hear. It was still, that was it. That was the only conversation
1: mm-hmm.
2: that, that took place. And it was another six years before mm. he had a sexual encounter.
1: Mm.
2: Um, had, you know, a woman who had had a, a spinal cord injury at a, at a young age and you know, she talked about her fears with online dating. Do you let the chair show? Mm -hmm. Do you, you know, there's, you know, fetishes where people just want to have, you know, relationships with people in wheelchairs and how Mm -hmm. do you avoid that? And there was all of these concerns related to how to have a relationship, how to gain a relationship. Um, You know, I had another, an older woman, who talked about, who also had amputations, how she no longer felt feminine, that she didn't feel like a lady anymore. And I'm just sitting there and you're listening to all of these stories mm-hmm. and you just, the weight of it as a practitioner, I have never felt so ashamed yeah. of myself, of. My profession, I just felt like, where were we Mm -hmm. at the table? Like, these were real problems that we could have, you know, solved so much quicker. Mm -hmm. And we just aren't there. So I'm trying to think, okay, I got to do something. So I decided that I had to get more comfortable with the topic because obviously I wasn't there yet. So I decided, and I teach research methods, research analysis. Um, So I thought, okay, I'll do a research study of some kind. I kind of needed to do something qualitative because I needed some more experience with qualitative research. So I thought, okay, these powerful stories, I will will collect those
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and gain a better understanding. I also started with, I, the next year, when I offered the elective, I offered the elective on O.T. and sexuality, so I could get better in touch with the with the information and the literature. So my first project was collecting these stories, and so I started collecting interviews. And the more I heard people talk about the impact or the more so the concerns they had regarding sexuality and intimacy and the impact of their condition on these things. So I go through my research project. The following year, I have to have another research project because that's how the university works. I have a new project that starts each year. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I have their stories. My next idea was I will interview practitioners and we'll find out more about why they're not addressing Mm -hmm. sex and intimacy in the clinic so the very first semester we're out there we're doing our literature review and i'm got this amazing group of of women who are um on my my research team and we're just digging into the literature and all of the pretty much the excuses on why people aren't addressing it in the clinic so when, when we got to talking just one afternoon and it was that, well, what is this going to solve kind of phenomenon? Like, okay, so what if we ask people why they aren't addressing it? Does that actually change? Anything? Right. And so how do we make it change? What would that mean? And The more we got to talking it was if we're going to make a change we have to start at the beginning number one we don't really have a good way of understanding it and we don't have a good way to assess it and if we can't assess it we surely can't address it and maybe that we need the words we need the vocabulary we need more Mm -hmm. so that started and we found there was um, this great web piece, you know, found in a, just a basic Google search. Um, Stephanie Kokesh, it's OT Cafe. Mm-hmm. And there's, a, you know, Addressing Sexuality for Occupational Therapy. And it introduces the sexual assessment framework. Um, and they reference McBride and Rhymes. Mm-hmm. Which who are nurses who it, in Canada, and so I started trying to read everything possible, and I tracked down um, the physician who actually created the sexual assessment framework based on his interviews in the seventies, and so I started talking. I got connected with him, and really looking at a different way of looking at sexual and intimacy. And so we then took the sexual assessment framework, and then we have this this area in our our building in the health pavilion at at UND, and it's kind of like the the walls where you can draw on with dry erase markers. Mm -hmm. And we mapped out the OT practice framework, and then we started plugging in different areas of the sexual assessment framework to see where, where things would fall. So oh, interesting. So if we were going to assess, so then we started looking at all of the different assessment tools that already exist on sexuality. It didn't matter the profession. It was just if it had something to do with sex, we were trying to pull it. And so then we would take all of these items and it was kind of like we're putting them in bins in the sexual assessment framework. And just hundreds and hundreds of, of items. Then we would go back and we would look at, okay, so where's occupation? So we need to change the items because our focus is on occupation, not necessarily um, some of the topics. So what is what is relevant to OT? What is... Is relevant to the sexual assessment framework and then how would we reword it to where it makes sense to our practice.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So we had spreadsheet after spreadsheet. We named it the sex sale instead of the XL <laughs> I love it the sex sale I love spreadsheet <laughs> because I might steal that one. So lots of comments about the sex sale. I'm definitely stealing that. <laughs> <And> <laughs> So we put all these categories, and then it was a matter of, okay, so what is missing? What is missing? So if we take a look at our OT practice framework of the items that we have in these categories, what are the areas that are missing? So then we just started creating items and developing new ones, and that's how it kind of developed that. That's what the article is about, is that process of of putting things together. The interesting thing is it was kind of like a grounded theory approach because as we were categorizing these items, our understanding of that framework began to, it, it improved. And then there were things like, um, so the sexual assessment framework, there's, there was one that's called, um, sexual behavior was formally what we now label as intimacy
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and but sexual behavior when we talk about a behavior gets really confusing when you're talking about um, some of the things in our practice and I can remember we gave a presentation at AOTA and I remember Catherine Ellis Mm-hmm. Came up and we had this long great conversation. And she goes, Well, change the name. Why don't you just use intimacy? And I thought, and she goes, You've got it up here, sexuality and intimacy. And she was like, Where does intimacy come through? So we ended up changing the name. There were, you know, sexual self-view and sexual expression were kind of lumped together, but They're two totally different concepts. It's difficult Mm -hmm. to talk about them collectively. And it makes sense as far as when we started really piecing apart, well, what is an occupation? What is a client factor? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's basically how things came to be. And we started, um, as we started putting things together, we realized, okay, we need to expand this framework this framework doesn't necessarily work perfectly for OT. Can we just, just modify it? Do we have to hold, you know, hold completely true to the original framework? And it's it's really close,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but we need to put our own occupational spin on it.
1: What I love, just many things I love about this, your story. What I love about the story is I think, JJ and I's experience over the last year and a few months of doing the podcast is all of these wonderful sex and intimacy champions we've met. It's all the same thing. We, we start to hear client stories, and we, ha- we all have that same moment of like, why aren't we doing more? <laughs> but what's so great is that we've all had a different path. So you've created this amazing assessment tool and we've done the podcast and you mentioned Catherine Ellis. Catherine Ellis has her own thing. Um, and then collectively we're, we're broadening the entire profession's approach to sex and intimacy all from just these moments of like, we should really do more, um, which I think the lesson being everybody needs to kind of stop and take pause in those moments um, where you think we're not doing more and, and really think about what as practitioners we can do to, to help help the profession. Um, tell us about the process of developing an assessment tool. Because we we came in on the end of that process and there clearly went a, a lot went into
2: it. It, it was really intimidating. It was very, very, because it's not my area of expertise um, at all. Assessment building, I had no clue whatsoever. It really took a lot of diving into the literature. Um, Again, I just can't tell you how, I had the most amazing research team who just really put in the extra, I mean, more than just your average student who wants to complete a course for a grade. It was really, you know, they were extremely invested and they were they were putting forth time and energy beyond course requirements. But just what is the literature? Let's, let's look at how other people are reporting it. Let's pull articles on assessments that have nothing to do with sex or intimacy. Just what does it look like to build an assessment tool? Did a lot of, um, you know, looking at what OT assessment tools we had on hand at the university and looking at their manuals and looking at, you know, their information that they provide on the development of of their assessment tools. How do we? Uh, there's also a Develis is the last name. I can't remember his first name. Um, has a has a book on assessment tool development and on scale development, basically. And so we followed that approach. There were also as I read things and you get started and then you read more things and then you start second guessing on, oh, well, maybe that wasn't the best route. Maybe we should have taken this route. And so then it, it becomes like a, a merging of systems <laughs> on, well, I like this piece from this method and I like this piece from this method. And so we followed the developed guide up to the point of having the pool of items. Like we know that these are the items we wanna, we wanna check out. And then we need I like a pilot study. So I had several people look at it, I mean like maybe just 12 and to get some feedback on different things, getting feedback from people, you know, I was in a group of of women. I have, you know, we need a male perspective. Mm -hmm. I need to know, am I capturing everything? That would um, pertain to all different types, you know, sexuality, um, you know, sexual identity. Am I covering all the bases? So, try to get a diverse group of individuals just to give me some feedback. And then I would say, the, after that, then it was a matter of, that I came across the Delphi study. And that was a matter of trying to figure out do, do I, would professionals be interested in helping out? And so I started by recruiting at our AOTA poster session the the year before. Then I also thank goodness they came out with the community mm-hmm. site mm-hmm. on AOTA and I was able to do some plugs there. Um, Catherine Ellis was was a godsend in connecting me with some folks that she had contacts with, Mm -hmm. and it just kind of started. And then looking at literature, so who's writing about it? Can I search for their email address? And so um, I will butcher. The name, but Dickow Sackle. (laughs) Don't worry. We've done it. (laughs) So, so, and he, I mean, he provided so much valuable information and he kind of came on a little bit later in the process, but I wasn't going to turn it down because I definitely wanted the feedback.
1: Very similar process to podcasting. We do the same thing. We look who's writing and then we hunt them down. Who who do do we want to talk to?
2: Stalking, yes, exactly. exactly. Professional. <laughs> found <laughs> professional stalking. They got Dr. Uh, George Stass, who created the the original um, sexual assessment framework. I found him through a blog where he was canoeing, you know, as part <laughs> of his retirement, and we had documented it. And I thought, and you know, I just responded to the blog, and I said, by any chance? Is this the same, Dr. George asked? And would you be interested in talking to me? I love that. So let's see, what else?
1: So, then, so once you have that initial collection of assessment items and
2: and trying to organize them, then, then where did it go from there? Okay, so there's, then we get to the Delphi study. And that was taking all the items and then trying to put it in a meaningful way, which was a bit confusing to start Mm -hmm. because when you're the researcher and you've been looking at it for the past year and it all makes sense to you, doesn't necessarily mean it makes sense to the people who are going to be reviewed. Yeah. So we sent it out and have, you know, 32 OTs from around the world who, um, volunteered their their precious time. And so it was a matter of going in and for each and every item. So like the first round was does the item pertain to the construct? So you know we have these different in the in the OT sexual assessment framework. We've got these different constructs. So does the item pertain to the construct? You know, does is the item relevant to the profession? And So, and it would be a kind of like 80% of the practice, you know, of the people who were the, my panel of experts, they had to agree that this was definitely relevant that it pertained to the construct. Then you also had a place for feedback on, could it be worded better? You know, is there anything missing? And so, that was a lot of information and a lot of feedback. And when you get feedback from 30 people on one item, then you're trying to, read, like, what what is the best way to tackle this? What I makes- can't
1: admit, JJ and I were part of that process. And even between the two of us, we had very different views, views on of- each item. <laughs> right, right. Well, I think about this, but wait a second. Could it be viewed this way? And I can imagine 30 more than 30
2: <laughs> <laughs> It was hilarious. So um yeah, one of my um research team members, so Kelsey Lamont, and she was we would meet at Starbucks, we'd meet at the library, and we would just take the feedback because you can only do so much in a in a reasonable amount of time where you start getting cynical, you start getting, well, oh, what do you know? You know, this yeah, is, right. you know, and you, you start, you stop being logical about the feedback. So we would just take it in chunks because you really needed to go on with a fresh mind because when you've got that much work into it, you think it's perfect. You think that, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, difficult to get that criticism when you think oh my gosh it took us four days to write this one item and they have just butchered it (laughs) so and then what you know some of the the feedback where you know a lot of individuals or I don't say a lot I had a couple of people who talked about well these are things that should come up in the interview process these are things that the OT should be asking and our, our take on it was, but OTs aren't asking. If they were and asking, we wouldn't be here in the first place. <laughs> right? Yeah. That this doesn't, you know, and sometimes our clients don't know that they have that problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's by looking at it and looking at all of those items, like, oh, wow, well, maybe I do have that yeah. issue. And, but it also then, and now I have somebody that I can talk to about it. Mm-hmm. And so it almost, you know, it's educational for the client, but it's also educational for the practitioner. Like, oh, well, I guess, cause when you look at the various the little items, you think, well, I could do that. Mm-hmm. There's no reason I couldn't address that in yeah. the clinic. And I think, you know, with our, skills and ability to adapt and overcome that most of those things, I think practitioners would feel a lot less intimidated if they had, you know, I need help with positioning during sexual activity. Okay. Well, we can handle that. Yeah, We can do that.
1: And it gives, and the whole process then gives the client permission. Like you were talking about, like it gives the client permission. Like, Oh, I there is somebody I can talk to about this. I've, I've met the person that can, maybe help with this thing that's been in the back of my head or the only thing I'm thinking about, but I'm scared to ask anybody about. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Let's see. Um, So
1: then how many? I can't even remember, were there three rounds of that?
2: There there were three rounds and, you know, it was, each round was a little bit different, you know, and where, you know, at the, you go through, it's like, this item must be included. Mm -hmm. or to get it narrowed down to what really needed to be, what was vital and what wasn't or what was just flux. And there was a lot of items where it was, you know, because you have to worry about double-barreled items. So asking two different things in the same Mm -hmm. item, because that can get confusing. However, when you're just trying to get to the topic area, Because the item is in itself, you're not measuring it per se, you're identifying it as a concern. That if I get to that area of concern, um, I can ask the questions once I have that information. Mm -hmm. So there were some items that because you know it's exhausting when you think about all of the items that are on the OPZ. (laughs) And there was a lot of concern from reviewers on. You know, isn't this excessive? Isn't this too much? Do you, can we get a condensed version? And there's just all of these different things, but we kept going back and forth thinking, well, we think it's important. I would rather be over, overkill yeah. than, than not. You know, if somebody else wants to go through, you know, it's not like, you know, and it's, and it's something that they're supposed to do on their own time. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really worried, you know, give it, give one section at a time. And You know, I'm not, there's, there's no parameters on.
1: Yeah. I remember going through the one where it was like, is it really needed? And I, from my perspective, I, I think all of them were like, well, of course this is needed. And of course this is needed. Cause I couldn't quite imagine as long as it was, like, I couldn't quite imagine not asking all of those touching on all the points that you, that you were touching on but I could see how other
2: people would think very differently. It's like, this is too, this is too much. Or it's too personal or borderline inappropriate that if I hand this to someone, will it send up huge red flags and then they'll say, oh my gosh. You know, because we have some of those boundary issues i think it's more important that's why the the screening tool has a real nice dialogue at the top and really introduces the top you know that many people you know a lot of people have concerns about how a spinal cord injury is going to you know impact their experience of sexuality and intimacy Mm -hmm. that's normal
0: and I, yeah. I love how you do that too. Like you said, it's it's normalizing. It's I'm not the only one that's thinking like this. There's lots of other people. So, you know, it kind of helps to relax that anxiety about bringing up this topic and like, oh, okay, other people are thinking about this too. So now, you know, you've talked about this with other people. I It's safe to
2: talk to you about it now at this point. Yeah. Fill this out in your own time. I am not you know you know the screening tool and the in-depth assessment it's not meant to be something that's filled out while you're hovering over their shoulder yeah mm-hmm. this is something that they need to think about they need you know give it to them and you know you pick it up the next day where they have the opportunity to look at it whether they're talking to a partner or a loved one or family member or they need to just simmer on it Mm -hmm. sometimes you know thinking about you know it might be they have it and you know even if it's in a short term like acute care state give the screening tool I mean it it gives you information how do I organize my educational materials that I then give my upon discharge Mm -hmm. do they know that if they have issues in this area that an occupational therapist could help them which is a whole new area of practice. Yeah. Yeah. I see coming. Yeah. So
1: so now it's done. It's out there. It's done. Woo-hoo! And it e- it's easily accessible. <laughs> so how yes. how do people access this wonderful tool? So
2: you can go to opz.und.edu and it brings you to our UND webpage. And you can fill out the little registration. And then it kind of zips you to a Google folder where you can download the manual, the screening tool, the forms. There's also um, the performance measure, which is mm-hmm. highly important. It's, I guess we haven't really talked about that. So. Um, really giving those core questions. So once you have completed the screening tool and the, the in-depth inventory, there's a performance measure so that you can measure performance over time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's fantastic. Um, so that's available. Um, and there's a referral form so that you can refer out. There's a place for you to create your goals. It's all right there and available, um, it, it's already been downloaded in 20 different countries. Woohoo, woo. Had requests, um, so got requests for um, translating it into Spanish, to um, Hebrew was a request I got yesterday. Mm-hmm. And then um, have some folks in Australia who want to see about validating it for their culture. Fantastic. So, over, I have no idea what, what to do next. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of options.
1: <laughs> it's
0: it, it's see, exploded in such a small amount of time. It's wonderful. It is, it's an it amazing is completely experience. overwhelming.
1: Isn't it an amazing experience when all the other, because we've had this with the podcast, when all of a sudden you realize all of these people around the world? <laughs> yeah. I just didn't see that coming.
2: <laughs> we didn't either for how <laughs> <either. laughs> <laughs> We're all very well, I'm glad people. you did. Because, I mean, isn't it amazing to be part of a revolution? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because this is a revolution in our profession. I mean, this is a paradigm shift. It is. That, that we are a part of. And I just think that is. And it's interesting
1: because I don't so think cool. any of us like sex and intimacy champions out there really were thinking we were starting a revolution. We were all just doing our own little small piece. Right. And then all of a sudden in the last, especially in the last few months year it's like it's like exploding the content that's that's coming out yes. um which is fantastic and 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 internationally like well, we did we did that one short little blurb on our podcast kind of listing all the countries that have listened
2: and it's shocking it's amazing <laughs> it is absolutely amazing and you don't know you know it's kind of how i found it you just start so, you know, it's kind of like you're Google searching. Why? why yeah. everybody else is doing this, and then you <laughs> you come across, you know, our friends like, "Oh, have you checked out OT after dark?" Oh no. Okay, and then you're just blown away because you're like, "There's actually <laughs> other people, <Not laughs> are people who are talking about this. Who <laughs> are That's talking right. about it too? I'm not the only one." It's it's because you know. When you go to a facility, you know, not everybody is interested, obviously, as much as I am about sex and intimacy. And, you know, it's just not a, necessarily a hot topic for everyone.
1: No, and I think it's getting it's getting hot.
2: <laughs> as it should.
1: <laughs> it should, it definitely should. Um, what definitely. do you see? What do you see as do you have like next steps for kind of really building capacity with using the OPC
2: and OPC and getting it out there? I have absolutely no idea. (laughs) I have just been, you're ready for the nap about this the other day. So it's kind of like you get the email, like, can I help translate this into Hebrew? And I thought, how does that happen? (laughs) Are there rules? Are there copyright things? Do you just say, sure, go ahead. Or, you know, the university says, no, you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's, you know, and I thought, well, do I start looking at studies on, you know, kind of like reliability and validity with clinical, yeah, you know, clinical case samples. But, and I thought, well, you know, it's, it's new. You know, do you have to give it time? Do you wait a year and then Mm -hmm. do clinical trial like studies? I'm so if anybody out there, Walker BA (laughs) at (laughs) UND.edu. Love to collaborate on research. Uh, I'm sure there's
1: quite a few people that would like to collaborate on research on that. The the, the,
2: the liability. Yeah. And um I, in teaching, you know, people reaching out as far as how do we get our hands on it so that we can teach our students?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: So I think that's also another area where hopefully this will start growing.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. Any, I think we're kind of, oh yeah, we've been talking longer than I realized. Um, <laughs> any parting parting words, words of wisdom for OT practitioners? out there wanting to get more involved into sex and intimacy and joining our sex and intimacy little tribe here? I would say,
2: number one, sex is the ADL of existence. Mm-hmm. Before feeding, eating, bathing, and dressing, somebody was having sex. I Just like that. That. That's how we all got like. here. <laughs> um, well... It's kind of <laughs> something, something intimate took place. Yeah. Don't care if it was a test tube, something intimate something took intimate. place um, and just do it. Stop being afraid. Mm-hmm. And if you, you cannot wait for your client to bring it up because yeah. they won't, they're not comfortable. You just have to open the door. Fantastic!
1: I think I think just do it. Don't be afraid. Has been just my motto it. for like last year,
2: right? <laughs> just, just yeah. JJ and, and I learned that real quick. <laughs> because if if we as OTs don't address it, who will? Who
1: will? Yeah. No.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So there you go.
1: There you go. Well, thank you very much for thank joining you. us. Thank you, you for very being s- welcome.
0: Thank you for being such a badass. We love you. <laughs>
1: Awesome. We were hoping to do this in person in Boston, but COVID 19 and all. <laughs> well,
2: that will be a whole different assessment tool. <laughs> yes, it will. Yes. COVID version OPZ. All righty. Well again, right. thank you so much thank for being much.
0: on a- OT after dark.
1: <music> well, badass Bathan is fantastic. Absolutely. And, and so is her assessment. Yeah, I'm super excited that there is an open access assessment that's so comprehensive.
0: Yeah, for occupational therapy practitioners. Tell everyone where they can find it. Well, we will have a link to the OPZ um, on our website where you can get it. And it's free. Nothing beats free. Mm-hmm. Free and open access. You just have to register um, at the University of Indianapolis on the website. Um to be able to access the assessment but again we will have the link on our website under this episode
1: and as always sex is an adl, ADL.
0: cheers